This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. I've entitled my message tonight, Talent. Any talented people here tonight? You all have special talents. Some are darker than others. One of my friends in Mildura would say, you're a gifted person, Pastor Trevor. It's just a dark gift. <laughs> sort of comes with sarcasm and all that sort of stuff. So talent. In the last, um, well, all of this year, we've been talking about our topic of grow and sow. And so tonight, we're going to look at the parable of the talents, um, which isn't actually, in the version of the Bible I'm reading, isn't actually called the, uh, the parable of the talents. It would be called the parable of the bags of silver. And so, um, but, you know, I just, I, it's in my brain, it's etched in my brain that this is the parable of the talents. So Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14 onwards, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it proportionally to their abilities. He, he then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid it, uh, hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will, I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 24, the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops where you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops and did not plant, uh, I, I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why, would you, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered to take... Then he ordered, take the money from, the, from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Those who use, use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance, but those who do um, nothing, even with what little they have, it will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray today, Lord, that as we look at your precious word, Lord, that not only will it be life and health to us, Lord, but it would nourish us. 
Lord, that even from tonight, Lord, we would understand, Lord, the importance of what you've given us, Lord, and the need, Lord, not only to grow with what you've given us, Lord, but to allow what you've placed in our life, Lord, to burst forth, Lord, and be multiplied in Jesus' name. Amen. So this parable of the talents um, is an interesting parable, I think. You know, the nobleman, or basically this parable talks about a nobleman who entrusted his business or his affairs or part of his wealth to three different servants. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes tonight, you need to write this word, entrusted. We have all been entrusted with something in the kingdom. You all have something that the master, God, has placed in your life and we need to understand that there's an expectation for return on what he's put in your life. There's an expectation that what he has placed in our life would not just be buried in the ground, would not just be put aside, would not just be excused away when we, it's, when we look at, oh, well, you know, I don't have much. I have very little. Or I don't know how to use it. I'm not very good with words. I don't know, you know, someone else maybe should be speaking. Someone else should be doing this. No, we need to understand and we need to come to the realisation that in the kingdom of God, you have been entrusted with something. Because this parable starts by saying the kingdom of God is like. So this is relating not just to business, not to just a workplace or something like that, this parable relates to you in the kingdom. So we are entrusted with something. I am so glad that God trusts us because if I was to entrust you with something, it means I trust you with it. Is that right? It's probably why it's got trust in that word entrusted. See, if I was to entrust you with money tonight, then that money actually belongs to me. I've just entrusted it to you. I've given it to you to look after. I've given it to you to, for you to do with what you think, but ultimately that money doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. And so when we work in our workplaces, we are entrusted with the business of the person who employs us. We're entrusted with the time. We are entrusted with wages. We are entrusted with resources. And so we are entrusted in the natural with many things, just as in the kingdom you're entrusted with things. And so for us to grow, one of the areas we need to grow when it comes to the kingdom is, first of all, we need to understand and realize that we have been entrusted with things from the kingdom. They are in your hand already. And sometimes people say prayers like this, well, I don't know what God is wanting me to do. I don't know what God is calling me to do. I don't understand God's purpose and his future for me. Can I break it down really simply for you tonight? And what you need to do is you need to understand that you have been entrusted with things now and you will not receive the future until you're faithful with what's already in your hand because we've been entrusted. I mean, why would he? Can you imagine if I picked one of these good-looking young people down here? Who wants to be entrusted? Noah, you look like a trustworthy person. Can you, can you imagine if I entrusted $100 to Noah and said, you're to look after this, you're to do what, with what you like, but the money belongs to me. Now, Noah, being a wise and trustworthy person, would probably go and spend it on something that's going to bring a return. Yeah. <laughs> Work with me on this. <laughs> because 
the money doesn't belong to Noah, it actually belongs to me. I've entrusted him with it. And so there's a day when that return is going to be called for. Remember, we're talking about kingdom here. We're not just talking about any old thing. We're not just talking about a Christmas gift. We're actually talking about what God requires of us to grow in his kingdom. So we've been trusted. So I want to ask you tonight, what have you been given? What have you been given? What is it that you've been given? Because many, many, many moons ago, a long time ago, I came to the realisation that everything I have ultimately belongs to him. doesn't belong to me. doesn't belong, even though there's things in my name, even though there's a house with my name on the title, even though there's cars that are registered in my name, even though I have things in my name, ultimately I am only entrusted with those things. So that means what I have been given to use for the kingdom is basically everything I have, everything I am. So there's a bloke in the Bible in the Old Testament called Moses, and he was entrusted a dead piece of wood. It was just a dead stick. It was just a piece of wood that was his shepherd's staff. And Jesus, or God, meets Moses one day at the burning bush in the wilderness and the bush is on fire and he has this amazing conversation with God. He has this amazing conversation where it's like, Moses, I'm sending you back because, see, Moses' life was all about the fact that he'd been raised in the house of Pharaoh for this moment. See, it wasn't an accident that when Moses' mum pushed him out into the Nile in that little basket and Pharaoh's daughter picked him up, it wasn't an accident that that happened. That was part of the plan of, um, of God for Moses' life because that was leading to this point where he was about to have a burning bush experience where God was going to send him back to the culture that he came out of because he wasn't raised in the Jewish culture. He wasn't raised in the culture of Israel, of the children of Israel. He was raised in Pharaoh's culture. He was actually not only raised in Pharaoh's culture as an Egyptian, but he was actually raised as Pharaoh's son. And sometimes we can be in a situation where we go, I don't think I fit. I don't think what I'm doing, I don't feel like I fit. Where have you got me, God? I feel like my people are somewhere else. I feel like that there's something else. But I want to tell you, maybe it's the plan of God in your life. And so as, as Moses learnt the ways of Pharaoh, he was the perfect one to go back to Pharaoh and say, you know what, all those slaves, you need to let them go. He was the perfect person to do it because he understood the culture and he understood because the Pharaoh that he went back to was not the Pharaoh he was raised under. The Pharaoh he went back to was actually his brother. They knew each other. And so basically every time when Moses goes back to Pharaoh, he's going, hey, bro, if you're over this side of the church tonight, he's saying to his brother, you know all those slaves? You need to let them go. You know all those people that make bricks for you and builds pyramids and builds castles and mansions for you? You know all those people? You need to let them go. But Moses says, well, I can't do that. What if they don't believe me? And God says to Moses in that moment, what do you have in your hand? And Moses goes, a dead piece of wood. Because he just spent the last 40 years tending sheep. 
He just spent the last 40 years just looking after sheep in the backside of the desert. And there's this moment where God takes that dead piece of wood and breathes life upon it and it becomes something special. The thing I love about the miracles that Moses did, it was with that dead piece of wood. What did he stretch out over the Red Sea? If you've seen the movie, it wasn't a sword because they used a sword. It was a stick. It was what he'd had in his hand. And so there's this moment where God takes something that's dead, something that's dry, and breathes life into it. Why? Because it's something that's going to produce miracles into the future. See, God's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. See, it rolls off our tongue. There's nothing that is impossible for God. There's nothing impossible for God. And you know what? I believe that with all my heart. And then I have moments of doubt. Why do I have moments of doubt? Because I worry about things sometimes. Or there's things that become too much. Or it's like something will happen and it'll send me into the tailspin in life and I have to readjust and I have to get my bearings back. No, hang on a minute. God is the miracle worker. Let's go to Numbers chapter 17 because I love how God takes something dead and causes it to grow and be fruitful. So what have you been given tonight? Moses carried that stick with him for 40 years, yet it was the instrument of God's power in the right season. Moses understood what that staff meant. He understood because it was his shepherd's staff. He understood he's probably whacked lots of sheep over the head with it when they got out of line. He directed them. He used it as a protection mechanism in the, in, in the life of the sheep and that sort of stuff. It was probably even where he's ward off attackers, human attackers as well. It became a weapon in his hand as well. And so here's Moses all of a sudden, this thing that he'd carried for years and years and years and years. God all of a sudden breathed life upon him. I believe this is a word for someone tonight. You've been carrying that thing in your life and you're going, oh, it's just dead. No, it's not dead. God's going to breathe life upon him. Oh, we live in an amazing society because we have the internet. It's an amazing society. I just got a picture of someone and you have been given the gift of your, in your life of poetry, but you've pushed it aside. The internet is an amazing place where you can produce poetry and get it out. What's in your hand? What is it that God's placed in your life? What is it that he's put there that's just lying dormant because you've had it for so long? So Numbers chapter 11 verses 1 through to 8 talks about Aaron's rod. Because who went with Moses? Aaron went with Moses. Aaron didn't need to be there. God said, you can just go yourself. But Moses, in his lack of courage and his humanness, said, well, I don't think I'm the best person. Can he go? And so in the end, God relented and goes, you know what? You can both go. You can both go. And so I think it's interesting that Aaron's rod actually has life as well. Not just Moses's rod. Verse 1 of Numbers chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring, to bring you 12 wooden staffs, one from each leader of Israel's ancestral tribes, and inscribe each leader's name on the staff. Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of the tribe of Levi, for there must be one staff for the leader of each ancestral tribe. Place these staffs in the tabernacle in front of the ark containing the tablets of the covenant where I meet with you. Buds will sprout on the staff that belongs to the man I choose. Then I will finally put an end to the people's murmuring and complaining against you. So Moses gave instructions to the people of Israel and each of the 12 tribes, 
12 tribal leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses a staff. Moses placed his staff in the Lord's presence in the tabernacle of the covenant. When he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted, budded, blossomed, and produced uh, uh, ripe almonds. Think about that for a moment. Just pause there for a moment and think about that. Bring me 12 dead sticks, 12 staffs, 12 staffs that can't produce fruit and put the leader's names. And the one that sprouts is the person I'm choosing. <laughs> and so the next day, didn't just sprout, budded, blossomed and produced ripe almonds all within probably a 12-hour period, all within a minimum of a 24-hour period. I want to just let you in on a secret. That's impossible. Can't happen. Can't happen. Yet with God, because look at the process. Take something dead, take something that's broken, take something that is no use in that area, put it in the presence of God, in the place where you meet with God and all of a sudden life grows. Life comes. God is a miracle working God. He can bring life where there's been no life. So thinking again about the parable of the talents, it's no use looking what others have. Can we just get rid of the comparison game? Can we just get rid of that? It's like... You might say, Pastor Trevor, I don't, I don't compare. Yes, you do. You do compare because you're a human being. But if we're not careful in the kingdom, that will kill us. The comparison game will kill us. I know that humans are great at comparing. If ever I had an opportunity to share something with my kids, say I brought something like a treat, piece of cake, what I would do, learnt this early in raising kids, is I would give one the responsibility to cut that piece of cake in half and I would give the other one the responsibility of choosing which half they wanted out of what was cut. And as soon as we did that, you know what? It was almost like the tape measure came out. Because if I gave the responsibility to the person who cut it to pick as well, whoops, just happened by accident. And they take the big chunk. But when one cuts and one chooses... It's amazing how accurate you can cut a piece of cake without a ruler under those circumstances. See, we're good at comparing. We're good at saying, well, you know what? That person up there on stage, they have 10 talents or they have 10 bags of silver. They have this or, you know, that person that sings on television, they must have 100 bags of silver. I would rather listen to our worship team than any other singer on television. Honestly, I would rather listen to our music team than, I'll let you on a secret, I'd rather listen to our music team than any other music team in the world. I just like it. Why? Because they're us. I like it when they make mistakes. I like it. Why? Because we're human beings. I like it. I like the fact that we can be real, but we can also grow in what we've been given. See, the servants in this parable were not judged by the fruit of the other people. The person who got two bags of silver and reserved two more, the master didn't come to him and say, well, where's the other three bags? 
old mate over here, he gave me five bags. Why are you only bringing two? No, it wasn't that. In actual fact, the reward was exactly the same. The reward was no different. If you read it again, read it again when you get home, you will find that the reward for the person who had five bags and returned five more got exactly the same comment, got exactly the same praise, got exactly the same encouragement from the master, got exactly the same reward as the person who brought two. Why? Because they were faithful with what they had. You're not called to be faithful with what someone else has. You are called to be faithful with what you're being placed in your hand. In actual fact, it's better to produce a little bit of what you have than produce nothing. Because this is, I think, what happens sometimes. We don't produce fruit because we're looking at the person who's got more than us to start with. So the last point tonight is in this parable I see that you are judged by the way you use your talent. You are judged by your way you do or what you do with what you've been placed in your life. Now, this judgment is not a judgment for salvation. I don't think it's a judgment of salvation because salvation is only the fact that we need to believe and live in the kingdom. It's all we have to do, have him as Lord and Saviour of our life. But there's another judgment in the Bible where it talks about the judgment of good works as well. And there's an expectation that will produce fruit. There's an expectation that that will happen. And in actual fact, <laughs> this is one of the things I love about God is he rewards those. You know, there's rewards in the kingdom. You know, sometimes people say to me, oh, you know, those people who get killed for, the, for, for their faith and those people, it's, it's so terrible. They receive a martyr's crown. There's going to be moments when we're walking around heaven and we're going to see people who are wearing a martyr's crown and you're going to want to take them out for coffee. You're going to want to hear their story. You're going to want to know how they received that crown. And um, I do. You know, there's going to be little kids in heaven that wear martyr's crowns and you're going to go, well, how did that happen? What happened? And they're going to tell you amazing stories. There's going to be older people who walk around with a martyr's crown. There's going to be people who have lost much in this life but gained much in the next to come. Why? Because he looks after us in all ways. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to close here. So if the musos could come back, that'd be great. We're allowed to dance again. From 6 o'clock last night, we're allowed to dance. Actually, in fact, from 6 o'clock last night, we're allowed to sing again. You didn't know you weren't allowed to sing in church, did you? No, you didn't. But anyway, we just didn't mention it. Early in the journey, I asked the question of our state office, and they said, "Don't." They actually said to me, "Don't ask that question, because if you don't know, you don't know." All right, I won't ask if we can sing in church, <laughs> but we can now, so it's okay. It just means we can sing louder. I actually don't mind if you sing softly. I don't mind. In actual fact, I don't, I don't mind even praise and worship if you don't even sing at all, as long as you're worshiping. Yeah, because <laughs> noise is not a gauge of heart. Honestly, church, it's not a gauge of our heart. Noise is not. In actual fact, sometimes we mask what's happening in, on the inside by making noise. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. One of the things I appreciate about God is that he brings rewards. Because we all like being rewarded, do we not? One of my favourite nights of the year when I used to play cricket was our awards night because we got to celebrate the achievements of the year. 
And one of the awards that I used to appreciate the most in the cricket club I played for was the Coach's Award. Because the Coach's Award was given to someone who had done their best, had done outstanding. They might not have made, or in actual fact, they hadn't made the most runs in the year. They hadn't taken the most wickets in the year. They hadn't taken the most catches in the year. They hadn't done all that stuff, but they'd done their very best. And so the coach's award was not a token award. It was an award of acknowledgement, the fact that, you know what, your talent might not be. You will probably never get to play for Australia, but you are given 110% with what you've been given. That was always my favourite award. I never won it because I never gave 110%. Honestly, I didn't. It's too much effort. It's too much work. I was too distracted. See, God rewards. God rewards those who diligently seek him. He actually gives us rewards, both this side of heaven and that side of heaven. Come on, church, why don't we stand up? I pray for this holy moment because this is a holy moment. Don't get caught into the trap that when the preacher says, come on, let's stand up because we're about to close, you switch off. I learned when I was in Bible college that the moment the lecturer says basically that they were finishing up, the books got shut and you didn't learn the next little bit of what was being said. Church, this is a holy moment. This is a moment where the Holy Spirit can do something extraordinary, not just in your life, but in the life of the person standing next to you. So don't distract them. Don't be the mechanism that steals the seed out of their life. God, our application of this message tonight is found in this. Lord, what have you placed in our hand? What is that stick we've been carrying around for years and you're dying to breathe life upon it? What is that thing that you've placed in our life? Sometimes it's something very, very practical. I once had someone who lectured in university come to me once and say this, God's laid upon my life the fact that I have this ability to teach and so I'm going to go and tutor some students. What he did was he understood that he had a stick in his hand that God was breathing life upon. And he had amazing experiences in the kingdom of God over the next two, three years, that season of his life where he set himself to tutor students who were struggling and he was able to guide them and bring them to a place where they were able to exceed and go beyond where they would have if they didn't have him in his life, in their life. And that happened not because he woke up one day and said, you know what, I should tutor. I can make extra money on the side. I don't think he even charged them. I think he did it for free to help people out. But he did it because God breathed life upon a staff that he'd been carrying for years, that he'd been using in day-to-day life. And all of a sudden it became a tool in the kingdom. Not just an opportunity, but it became a tool in the kingdom. So Holy Spirit, what is it that we have in our life? Lord, would you breathe upon it? Lord, in your presence, Lord, would that sprout? And not just sprout buds, because that would be amazing, but we would see ripe almonds as well. Lord, that you would take that in our life which we've carried. Could be something really simple like, it takes a lot of effort to get 120 hours for an L-plate driver these days. 
might be as simple as you've got a car and some spare time, and you might be able to go to one of the parents and say, hey, got time? Do you want me to take some of that burden away from you? Do you want me to take your kid driving? And depending on your driving record, they're going to say yes or no. Could be something as simple as that. So God, in the moment where we say we surrender all to you, God, we surrender all. Lord, whatever you need, Lord, whatever you ask us to do, Lord, I pray you would give us the courage and the boldness, Lord, to start with what we have now so that we can grow into what you have for us in the future. Lord, in your wonderful name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabra. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.